You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Hello and good morning, everyone. Well, I don't know what day it is. Is it Sunday? Are all the days just starting to blur and run together? Feels like we don't know what time of the day it is, uh, what day we're functioning in. And uh, I've been helped, though, this week because Sammy and Jimmy, our office coordinator and associate minister, told me what day it is. It's actually Blur's Day. That's right. It's, maybe you've seen the meme about Blur's Day. And so the, the year and the day and the month, it's Blur's Day, Marple 14th. I'd like to see the closed captioner get that. Oh, man, Joel is good. Can you believe that? Well, it's hard to believe that we're already at Holy Week. Easter's next week. Last week we were supposed to have our Kids Act performance. And this week, this Sunday, is Palm Sunday. And we were supposed to be celebrating with our kids. It just feels like someone's locked us up, put us in a room, and forgot about us. Easter is not even here yet. And I'm already missing it. I feel like it's not going to be what we want it to be. That it's not the holiday, the holy day that we wanted. It's not what we'd planned for and what we prepared for. In fact, growing up as a preacher's kid, I kind of got used to Easter and some of the other Christian holidays not really being holidays because they were work days. I remember as a really small child on Easter Sunday, we still would do our Easter bunny baskets. But one particular year, when we were small, we were going to get to go to an Easter egg hunt. And this Easter egg hunt was in a grocery store parking lot. Well, no surprise. If you're coming from church to a secular grocery store concrete parking lot Easter egg hunt, odds are you're going to miss it. And we did. There were no eggs, no Easter bunny, and we missed it. It just seems like things are not tracking as we might hope. And on this particular Sunday, we're supposed to be celebrating Palm Sunday. And we love Palm Sunday. We've got kids, we've got branches being waved, people shouting Hosanna and singing. It is a victory parade. And a lot of churches celebrate on Palm Sunday, the week prior to Easter. And it's almost as if we go from one peak to another peak, from one mountaintop experience of Jesus coming in like a king to a victory of an open and empty tomb. Our crosses are empty, our tombs are empty, and everything is all about victory. But this is also Passion Sunday. We have the option of taking a focus on Passion Sunday, of looking at the suffering of Jesus, the hours leading to his death, his betrayal, his crucifixion. Well, today, in light of all that, I want to look at the holiday that Jesus messed up. That's right, a holiday that Jesus fouled up. You know, whenever we get together for holidays. Have you seen people that function like wet blankets on our holidays? You know, whatever it is, it's supposed to be a great, exciting time to be together, and they are just a wet blanket, talking about 
a disease, talking about their recent cancer diagnosis, talking about a job loss, talking about all kinds of marital problems. They're just a wet blanket. Well, it kind of feels like Jesus is a wet blanket at the end of the gospel. That's right. His ministry has been perfect. Up to these final chapters, everything has been going well. The crowds are huge. They love his teaching. They come and they want to see what wisdom he has to impart from the scripture or to see some wordplay where he makes a joke on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They are excited and fighting to be Jesus' right-hand man and his left-hand man. And then things take a turn. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus begins to turn his attention towards Jerusalem and toward his impending death. And he begins to say things like, well, if you're going to follow me, it's going to be very hard. You better be prepared to take up your cross and follow me, denying yourself. And Jesus just seems extra moody the closer that he gets to Jerusalem. He comes into this king's parade on Palm Sunday, but then he's cursing fig trees that wither before their eyes. He is throwing the courtyard of the temple a mess. He's calling down the golden-plated temple and saying that it will be nothing but a burning ruin. And he refuses to answer the religious leaders that say, who gives you the right to do such things? Well, let's take a look at this story from Mark chapter 14. As Jesus gathers with his disciples on a very important holiday. Mark 14, picking up in verse 17. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. And when they had taken their places and were eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, the one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and to say to him, one after another, Surely not I. He said to them, it is the one, the one of the twelve, the one who is dipping bread into the bowl with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him never to have been born. While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he said to them, And all of them drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they'd sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all become deserters. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though all become deserters, I will not. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this day, this very night, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said vehemently, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of them said the same. The, the holiday that Jesus messes up, that he ruins, is Passover. 
And Passover is a fantastic holiday. It's awesome. A big meal, you're there with family and friends, there's lots of wine, there's lots of celebration about the victory of the Israelites over Egyptians. It's fantastic. You know, we're dealing with one particular virus. They overcome 10 plagues. That's right, 10. It is a time of freedom and triumph of the power of God and the embarrassment of all of the Egyptian gods. It's a great holiday. And Jesus drops a bomb in the middle of it before things even really get started. He says, one of you will betray me. Now, remember, this is a group of friends. This is a group of people that have been with him closely for the last three years. Those that he's called, they're shocked. (laughs) They're sad. They are distressed. And they're big enough people that they begin to look into themselves and say, is it me? Surely it's not me. And they deny that this can be the case at all. And Jesus looks and says, no, it's one of the twelve who will betray me, the one who dips the bread into the bowl with me. Could it be it's the bowl with the bitter herbs representing the tears shed in Egyptian slavery? Or maybe it's the bread dipped in the carouset representing the, the bricks that were built or the mortar around those bricks. We don't know. Most of our records about Passover come about 200 years after Jesus' time. Well then, after that big bomb, Jesus begins to mess up the words. He doesn't do the holiday right at all. It's almost as if at Christmas, when we're used to putting up trees, he takes the tree, he chops it down, burns all the tinsel, and does the holiday completely different, making up a holiday, maybe even like Festivus. And as Jesus redoes Passover with different words, he begins to take on the role of the lamb, the food on the table. Now, the lamb is supposed to represent the the, the firstborn, the ones that were killed in Egypt before they left after that final plague. But Jesus is dressing up like the food. That's a lot weirder than dressing up like an Easter bunny or dressing up like Santa Claus. Jesus pushes that Passover lamb to the ground, and he becomes that Passover lamb. He takes the bread, and he holds it up, and he says, Take, eat. This is my body. And then he takes the cup, one of the four cups of wine, and he holds it up. Take and drink. This is my blood. Blood of the new covenant. It's very confusing. He's messing up all of the words. This is the strangest Passover ever for this group of believers. They've followed God all of their lives, but they've never seen a Passover quite like this one. Well, after they sing a song, maybe a halal song, they head out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus drops another big bomb. All of you are going to desert me. That's right, all of you. One's going to betray, but all of you are going to be scattered and abandoned and run away from me tonight. But don't worry, after I rise, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Okay, at this point, now that everyone is being accused, 
Peter has had enough. This is a disaster. He's tired of these accusations, this off-script innovation to the Passover. And Peter steps forward and says, look, I don't care what anybody else does. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to remain to the end. My name is Rocky. I'm going to be there with you. And Jesus says in the famous lines, Peter, you know, even tonight, three times you will deny me before the rooster crows. And Peter's insistent, even if all deny you, I am willing to die with you. And everybody else agrees. Verse 31 of chapter 14, all agree that they're willing to die. Well, I am quite admiring of their resolve. I have no doubt of their commitment and their willingness to fight. And Jesus leads them to the olive press, to Gethsemane, the place where the, the olives were crushed and made into oil. And he tells this group of people, these apostles, sit here while I pray. And I want you to pay close attention to this story that picks up in verse 32 and following. Sit here and watch while I pray. Peter, James, and John come with him. These are the original ones that were called back on the Lake of Galilee. They're the bold ones. They're the ones that are in it through thick and through thin. And Jesus says, sit here. Now, just a few chapters earlier in chapter 10, James and John had said, we want to sit on your right we want to sit on your left. We want to be with you in your kingdom. And Jesus says, okay, I can't guarantee that. But this is their opportunity. Their opportunity to sit with Jesus and watch. And what they see is Jesus distressed. Distressed to the point of death. They are afraid. Well, I guess we've seen Jesus distressed for several chapters now. He's been in a bad mood. He's not been acting himself. He gives them one more instruction. I feel like I'm about to die. Keep awake and pray. Do we have any Gregories in the house? Keep awake, Gregory, and pray. And he goes away and he prays the same thing again. He comes back and we find them asleep. These folks that were ready to fight and ready to die are asleep. And Jesus points at Peter and says, look, you were ready to die with me. Can't you stay awake even for an hour? You remember Jesus was preparing them, preparing them for prayer, to be alert, to stay awake, and to pray. And here they are two more times with Jesus coming back, three total times, and they are asleep. They're not awake. They're not alert, and they're certainly not praying. What Jesus is doing in this time is modeling for them what to do in a crisis. In crisis, we pray. Jesus is training them by first telling them, watch me pray. You sit here and watch as I pray. And it teaches us too. That in our darkest moments, in our biggest crises, we are drawn into prayer. Now that's not often what we want to do. We would much rather die the noble death. We want to go to battle. We don't care if we die, if we can die in a noble way. But pray? Pray with someone who's in distress? Pray with someone who is probably not going to come out of this alive? That's a little harder to do. That feels a little wimpier. 
That doesn't fit into our victory mentality or our desire for accolades or to do the big thing for God. But what Jesus invites them to do is to be with him and pray. In the midst of this silent despair, we are praying and being present with Jesus and being present with others. Well, I don't really think that Jesus has ruined this holiday. That's not a fair word. He hasn't messed it up. He's transformed it and changed it. What began with predictions of betrayal and prophecies of denial and scattering, here in the very next scene, as we watch it unfold, they're about to all run away and flee. Now here's my take. I don't think that the fleeing and the betrayal takes place in the next scene. I think it's already taken place. They've already failed to stay awake. They've already failed to stay prayerful and alert with Jesus. That betrayal, that denial, and that running away, some of them even naked, to flee away from the trauma of the moment, that happened because of their time of prayer was spent sleeping. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong message. I don't think that if they were awake and if they were praying that they would have escaped death. Jesus didn't escape death. Their time of prayer and being awake would have prepared them. It would have gotten them in the space to be with Jesus. It's not a simple fix to just say, well, let's just pray all these things away. What we've got here and what I want us to focus in on is some very important realities, two of them, that Jesus teaches in this passage. In these scenes as they unfold here on Passion Sunday. First off, we follow Jesus. Jesus is always out ahead of us, leading and showing us where to go. Now often we're looking back, we're looking at Passover, looking to scripture, or looking to the first century. And sometimes we're trying to find some pristine, perfect thing that we can bring to this present moment. I want us to think about Jesus being out ahead of us, leading the way. He predicts their denial. He is called to his own death and cross. And he is strengthened and resolved by the prayer that he prays and by his commitment to God in that moment. Jesus is showing us, leading us into this life of prayer. Now, I often talk about discipleship. I often teach and instruct and guide us into the way of following Jesus as Jesus' disciples. And you'll probably remember in the fall and in the last year, we've talked about these four words, be, do, say, and go. These are four practices of disciples that show up in the Gospel of Mark. And we can use to kind of frame what we've read here today in Mark chapter 14. To be with Jesus early on was a calling in Galilee for them to leave their nets behind. But now, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the Olive Press, it is a call to be with Jesus in prayer. When their lives are on the line, they are being with Jesus, existing in the very presence of Jesus. The second one of doing the things that Jesus did, they are to copy and to model what they're seeing in Jesus' life. 
the kind of prayer and wrestling that Jesus prays in the garden to get himself ready for what will take place, to endure the strain and the turmoil of this death, is something that they too can imitate. That's an action that they are to model with their lives. Be, do, and say. Saying the things that Jesus says, if we look closely at what he prays, he is praying for the will of God to be done in his life, or in this case, in his death. He is wanting God to reign in his body, whatever that might look like. And it's going to look like being betrayed and being abandoned and being all alone. We are able to see with Jesus' own flesh and blood, what it looks like to say the things that Jesus says. And what it looks like is that we're doing the very will of God. We are proclaiming that reign of God. The fourth one, the going. Jesus promises that he will go ahead of them to Galilee. He's always out in front. Even after his resurrection, he will be where they began leading them into ministry just like when it started. So, this first reality that I want us to get is that we are following Jesus. We're following Jesus into the future that God has planned for us. Our eyes are cast towards where God is leading us. A second thing, while that one might not be very comforting, it may be alarming, the second one is a bit more reassuring. And in this reality, we learn that our weaknesses, our past, our mistakes, these do not void our opportunity to grow as disciples. You know, it's easy to kind of beat up the disciples, that they didn't stay awake and they weren't alert. But they all were faithful disciples of Jesus. In fact, those three that are mentioned, two of them, Peter and James, died as martyrs. John, he lived until a very old age, serving Jesus the whole way through. Now, this is not saying that everyone is called to martyrdom, but it is inviting us into this reality that our mistakes, our past, and our weaknesses do not void the chance that we can still grow as disciples. You see, I think they come to this time in their life, and they remembered it for their entire life. To remember the times that they abandoned Jesus and betrayed him and fled and ran away. That changes them. And it amounts to them looking at the table in a whole new way. They had to rely upon the faithfulness of God. As we come around the table today, we're welcomed and invited. Not to a ruined Passover meal but reminded that we too have deserted Jesus. We've abandoned God, but God has been faithful to us. This was no accident. This was no catastrophe. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was headed to give his life for us. And the faithfulness of God is shown in this real presence of Jesus. His willingness to stay in there when we abandoned him. Whenever we walk away from God, God does not walk away from us. God's love is always stronger than our weakness, always stronger than our greatest failure, and always more powerful than even our strength. 
we can rely upon the faithfulness of God and know that our weaknesses do not kick us out. I want us to begin thinking about how we can commune, how we can live in the presence of Jesus with these two realities. Given what's going on around us and understanding that Jesus enlivens us and provides the energy for us, this table can enrich us and motivate us to be a stronger, more devoted follower of Jesus. Because whenever the disciples ate the Passover, it was never the same. Whenever they gathered as the Lord's Supper, it could never mean more than it did that night as they look back. And I think every single meal that they ate began to be transformed because it was Jesus and Jesus' presence that nourishes them and energizes them, his body and his blood. So, three things. I want you to be thinking about how you are implementing your own practice of prayer. Maybe that's something that you're doing during this very key time of being confined to your home. Maybe that's something that you can do with your coworkers on the phone who are Christian and want to seek God in prayer. Maybe it's something that you can do with your household. What is your intentional time of prayer looking like? A second thing, meet your neighbors. Get to know these people that live next to you. Perhaps you print off a note or write them a note that lets them know that you are praying for them. Tells them who you are if you've not met them before. And maybe if you're healthy enough and able-bodied enough, offer to go buy a grocery item for them or pick up a prescription for them if they're in need of some help. Meet your neighbors and expose yourself to being present to them, showing them what Jesus looks like through your life. Also, a number of you are connecting through groups, through Sunday schools that are meeting on Wednesday or Monday, through uh, youth groups that are meeting on Zoom and gatherings that are happening on Google Hangout. Meet with your groups. Even this week, uh, Amanda started a Kids Club Facebook page that's private for kids to do things like create a Lego creation, building a church. There's been some great uh, ideas posted on Facebook in this private page that's safe for kids. Whatever it is, find ways to connect with your group. It may be that for you, you're wanting to lead a group or you're wanting information on how to start a group. Send us an email at firstabq.org or just simply to staff at firstabq.org. And we will help you in establishing a group that can meet virtually during this time when we're physically distanced from one another. I'm so thankful for each one of you. We don't have to see this holiday as messed up. It's not messed up. We are entering into the very passion or suffering of Jesus. And holidays don't always have to be about Easter eggs and Easter bunnies. They can embrace the suffering that we too are suffering right now. And we can be reminded that God is with us through the very presence of Jesus who's out in front of us leading the way into the future that he has planned for us. And even though we're people who sometimes abandon him, God's faithfulness remains.